Yes, first first and foremost, I just have to publicly apologize for uh, the Ronnie Day release. Just get that out of the, the picture. <laughs> the which one? Ronnie Day. That, that's all I'll say. Okay, well, if people you'll, you'll have know to what... dig deep, but yeah, I apologize. That should not have happened. Welcome back to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David. Today on the show, uh, we're going to take a look at the Militia Group. You may be familiar with this label. In fact, I'm sure if you're listening to the show, you're familiar with the label. Otherwise, you might not listen to this episode. Anyway, uh, it, it featured bands like Rufio. It featured bands like Copeland, just to name a few. The Beautiful Mistake uh, were all on the Militia Group. And on the show today, Aaron sits down with Chad Pearson, of the Militia Group. He's the guy behind it all. So they're going to talk about that, and they're going to talk about his five favorite releases from the label, uh, which if you heard in the intro there, he's, he's got one he's, he's, well, not too excited about. Anyway, he's going to talk about the records he knows and loves from the Militia Group. So that's coming up in just a few minutes. But first, why don't we hop into uh, some housekeeping? Go follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GrowingPunkPod. You'll find us at GrowingPunkPod.com as well. And wherever you're listening to this, rate it, review, subscribe, share it with your friends. Help us spread the word. You got any friends who are fans of the Militia Group? Why not tell them about the show? Simple as that. Uh, and we've got all sorts of other great episodes. This is one of our final record label release episodes we're doing for now. We may come back to it before we jump into a new series here shortly. But uh, yeah, without further ado, without wasting any more time, let's get into the episode. It's Aaron chatting with Chad Pearson of the Militia Group about his five favorite releases from from the Militia Group. If I were to that's a first i can't say i've had someone start with an apology but apology accepted slash maybe not necessary i guess i'll have to go and find out for myself <laughs> we'll do a follow-up after <laughs> yeah that's awesome yeah so how did so this is kind of different so we were just saying before we hit record that usually we're talking with someone from a band that was on a label but in this case uh, you were the owner and starter of the Militia Group. So why don't you kind of just take us back to the beginning a bit. You know, how did this label form? Uh, kind of what were you hoping to accomplish with this label? What was going on around that time? Yeah, great question. I'll, I'll try to skim through the history. I just uh, had a good talk with uh, buddy Josh Kimball. I don't know if you uh, had oh, yeah, from Dogwood. with him yet. Yeah, yep. from Dogwood. Uh, so it's kind of fresh in my mind. But 
militia group. Um, kind of, I mean, it did get a start at Tooth and Nail Records for me. That that was my dream job, my dream label. Uh, got my, that's where I, you know, I just started from, and then from there, uh, I decided on a whim to start a company called the Militia Group. That was going to be. Uh, not only a booking agency, not only a management company, not only a fanzine, but a record label at some point. Um, all things came to fruition, uh, but the label was definitely the one that took off and lasted you know, a long time. Along the way, I partnered with a gentleman named Rory Felton from Kansas City, um, who then helped jumpstart the label aspect um, and taking my connections and um, just really... Uh, yeah, went for it and had some great success and great times. And that's pretty much how Militia Group got started. Um, yeah. In a really fine, quick nutshell. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Any uh, specific story behind the name, the Militia Group? You know what? No. Um, it was an idea. I was in my apartment with my roommate at the time, Ty, uh, incredible drummer, incredible human being. And I had just had my third year review at Tooth and & Nail and just got a uh, a new job shift to become Brandon's assistant uh, before I was doing sales and A&R. And I was totally happy, totally fine. But then I was just like, you know what? I'm going to move to California and start it. a company called the Militia Group. And it's going to have a red star for a logo. And <laughs> Ty at the time was like, uh, okay. So the next day I just you know, went and gave him my notice. They convinced me to stay for, you know, not only two weeks, but like, I think it was two months where okay. then I taught my best friend how to do my job while I learned how to juggle and just hang out. So that's great. And I actually have a really cool tattoo. Oh, right on. That was supposed to be, that was my first tattoo and I passed out. Um, <laughs> so it didn't quite after get to four lines. Yeah. And I woke up and I was like, just finish the star and I'm out. So that's been a long time, but that's, <laughs> That's awesome. That's the militia group star. But yeah, I'm never going to change it. Never going to touch it up, and I'm terrified of needles. So okay, be, that's yeah, funny. This whole vaccine business is, is terrifying for me at the moment. Well, <laughs> maybe you should just book a tattoo on the same day and just get it all done at once. <laughs> and yeah, maybe I actually ponied up and actually got one. So okay, yeah. Well, that's yeah. awesome. Well, it's funny now is when you type the militia group into Google, you get all you sorts of stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. You know, even for uh, so on the back of the, on these logos here, when I was, you know, just Googling to find those, I was like, you know, kind of had to scroll down a bit or whatever to find. Because <laughs> now there's all sorts of stuff that comes up with uh, when you type in yeah, militia. It's, so. uh, yeah, the name hasn't stood the test of time, unfortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I, I was telling Josh the other day, just, you know, traveling when we booked travel under the corporate car, that was always a little bit fun. Always taken to the side and, you know, frisked a little bit better heart. I don't know if that's the word I want to look for, but a little bit more intensely, you know, like, so. So yeah. you just, you just hid like uh, demos all over your body. So when they frisked you, they're like, what's yeah. this? Oh, what is that? That must yeah, be it's a, all my punk rock belts yeah. and everything. Just studs everywhere. Yeah. There's, there's some cool bands on that. You should uh, check that out. <laughs> yeah <laughs> sweet well yeah we're so we usually touch on you know five kind of favorite albums or you know or five albums or bands that come with with some kind of special memory and so uh, this is going to be a really cool opportunity just to hear from you um you know more backstory or reasons why you know you connected with a certain <laughs> band and and so let's uh let's get to some of these so the first one um so i i also threw in some of my favorite um 
yeah. fans from the militia group, so you can kind of touch on those um, as they come up here. But the yeah, first I mean, one, I, I've been I've been anxious for this because it's like telling you about my favorite child, and they're all my favorite child. So it's like ah, uh, so I feel like I'm gonna leave someone out, but that it's just so tough. We can't talk about all the releases. So yeah, well, hopefully, and and years have gone by, so the stories that I remember probably they also could not. Be the way they actually transpired. So I'm like, oh, can I okay. phone a friend in some of these things? You know, be like, hey, is this what really <laughs> happened? Because this is what I remember. But I'm. This is exciting for me because I haven't done this part of like, hey, talk about the records. Yeah. You know, on, on this platform, it's usually tell us about your journey. You know, which is great. But being really intentional and pulling out stuff and like, oh yeah, this was great and this is awesome. So I'm really appreciative of the opportunity here to kind of go through some of the stuff and be like, yeah. This is awesome. So yeah, bring on yeah. the questions. I'll try to be as forthright and truthful as I can. Uh, yeah, and we we don't have to use the word favorite. We can just say whatever <laughs> instead. <laughs> Most loved. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, some some highlights or anyways. Yeah, so the first one is uh, the beautiful mistake in their album Light a Match, which came out October of two thousand two.
this seemed to be a very successful record. You know, this was one that was popular, you know, up here. I remember lots of people talking about this band and seeing their name, you know, on lots of big tours and in magazines and things, you know. Um, so why don't you tell us about, about this band and album, kind of what do you remember about working with them and growing them as a band? You know, this, this band, I pulled out the record and then I left it somewhere else. But Beautiful Mistake will always hold a, a great spot in my heart just because of the members, uh, specifically Josh and John, um, and still, you know, dear friends to this day. Um, John still hits me up on the regular, um, and Josh is elusive, but we still hit each other up. But Beautiful Mistake was, I think, besides no- like Noise Ratch and Beautiful Mistake were about the same era. And what's special about Beautiful Mistake is I was living... I don't know if I was living with Josh at the time, but we we're about to be, you know, roommates. And at the same time that we militia group were kind of courting them, they were also being courted by tooth and nail. Um, oh, okay. My, one of my great, greatest friends, Billy power. Yeah. Um, and Josh literally came to me with the contract going, what do you think? I was like, huh, interesting. Here's my contract. What do you think? So we were able to, we, we beat them out basically, you know, we beat out tooth and nail, um, and I think it, it wasn't really the contract aspect. It was more of the, the Christian label versus just a label. Right. You know, they didn't really want to play churches. And I totally respect that and get that a hundred percent. Um, so that was a huge win. Like, yes, we got one, you know, and it was a band on the rise. We saw the popularity of them. Um, the story behind there's multiple stories that I remember with beautiful mistake, especially if I light a match for I deserve to burn. Um, one of the stories I remember and one of the stories I love is they wanted to go in the studio with uh, the producer, Ed Rose, who's a phenomenal producer in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, and we, yeah, let's do it. They went there, they recorded, you know, and I think at the time we, maybe it was two weeks, maybe it was a week. I don't know how long it was. It was a very short amount of time. It's like do drums one day, bass one day, guitars a day, and then vocals and mm. then get out of there. Yeah. Um, we didn't really have huge budgets, but that was the budget. The story I remember, and Josh, if I get this wrong, I humbly apologize, but it's a great story, so whatever, um, is that it came time to do vocals. And when the vocals, when Ed was tracking the vocals, Josh was not nailing it. It was not happening. And this is not, this is a time when everything, I believe, is still recorded to tape. Yeah. Um, And Ed was just beside himself and just said, you know what? you're wasting not only my time, you're wasting your band's time, you're wasting your label's money. I am not going to sit here and go through this crap. I'm going home. You go upstairs. You figure out what you need to do. If you can't nail these vocals by tomorrow, wow. then I'm sending you home. Now, Ed was Josh's like favorite producer at the time, so that really rose fear in him, just like, yeah. holy crap, this dude just told me I suck and I'm about to go home. From what I recall, from what I remember from the stories that I was told and what I've now taken 20 years later, is that Josh came in the next day and nailed every single take on the first take. Wow. Um, And I always thought that was incredible. And kudos to Josh for just rising to the occasion and just stepping up. And I I love that story. And I love telling that story because it just shows the tenacity of Vance back in that era and the tenacity of my friend Josh, too, of just how much he really wanted to go for a dream and really honored the time and the opportunity that he had with Ed. Um, And I think it really created a great record. The other aspect, too, is just the imagery and working alongside with Don Clark uh, from uh, what time it was, I think, Asterisk, Uh, now it's a visual creature. 
Yeah. Um, and doing all that vellum layout was awesome. Yeah. Uh, we did matches. Of course, you can't name a record lighter match where I deserve to burn and not have matches. Just yeah. everything really hit in the popularity. It was just the right time. That was super exciting uh, to be part of. And when they were my roommates, too, it was cool to see. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. That's what to I think. remember how that would have changed if the next day you know josh like just couldn't pull off the vocals like what if that album still happened or you know obviously not in the same same manner so did with that band did you know once that album came out did things kind of just start happening for them like i know in that era you know this kind of music was really exploding or kind of how did that work with you um you know kind of owning the label finding opportunities for them kind of how did all that play together yeah, well, they started, I mean, they had, in Orange County, it was it was the right moment, the right time, um, and they um, got hooked up with management at the time, was this small management company called Crush Management, yeah. um, and a guy named Pablo Mathiason and his buddy Jonathan Daniel, and then a guy named Bob McClinn came in and just really started managing them, started managing Fall Out Boy, started managing Panic at the Disco, other bands, and they were again at the infancy stage, and they just... Obviously, crush management is a huge deal now. Jonathan Daniels is a huge deal. Follow Boy, we all know that story. Panic yeah. Disco, we know that story. Paramore, we know that story. Um, but they were on that train, and that was their trajectory. You know, and mm. that was, you know, we really um, just found the right partners management-wise. We worked really well with them, um, with the band and management and the booking agent. Like everything just worked really well. They were getting on the right tours. They were a phenomenal live band. They were just really great mm. to see. Um, they're great dudes too. Just really, um, just phenomenal people. It's just, the, it was the recipe that you're always looking for of just great dudes, hardworking. They would do anything. They'd drive 20, you know, 20 hours to play a show in front of five people and play mm -hmm. with the same energy they would if they drove 20 minutes for 5,000 people, you know, yeah. which is really, you know, it, it, it's hard to come by, you know, um, and they were genuine people, you know, so yeah that's awesome it makes you want to just uh, keep talking about them but we'll uh oh, yeah. keep uh keep moving on here so uh the, the band that i have here that i wanted to ask you about was acceptance um so oh, i know yeah. they kind of you know moved on you know i think fairly quicker kind of how did that relationship with them come about and what was it like seeing seeing their growth as well acceptance is another band that i knew from way back when kaylin uh the guitar player actually was an employee at Tooth and Nail after I left. Oh, okay. Um, and then, then a guy named Jason Venna, who's the singer. Yeah. And then there's a guy named Derek. I was Butcher's last name, so I won't even try. Sorry, Derek, if you're listening. But Derek had a, a label, and he had signed them. And he, you know, we were passing out stuff. Derek signed Gas, uh, great, great guy, uh, Gas Who's American Dream, whatever they're oh, called. Yeah, yeah. signed them. Another phenomenal band, Acceptance phenomenal band so he'd always like hey check this band out check this band out it was good i started booking acceptance as militia you know as a militia group booking agency so i booked their first tours uh they got a minivan <laughs> i remember them having four stars on the side that was their branding at the time uh and toured with like the likes of hangnail i booked them out to cornerstone they played with like juliana theory further scenes forever they're just a really great band and i at that time i was talking to rory and was telling jason like hey man like, I'm starting a label. You should sign to us. And at that time, he's like, you know what? We're, I don't know. We're, we're kind of, they had their eyes set bigger, you yeah. know, which I can't fault them for. It's like, hey, 
start label with me. You know, right. um, I have no traction. I just worked a tooth and nail and now I book your bands. Um, and, and honestly, I think they had their sights always set on tooth and nail, uh, to be honest, tooth and nail, um, passed on them. I think there's a great podcast about that. Yeah. Um, but they eventually got signed to Columbia, uh, and they were also managed by crush. Um, so a guy named, um, Jimmy, I believe his name is. Yeah. Jimmy, uh, was their day to day. And so they signed to Columbia and they, at that time, there was this whole, whole thing of like major labels would sign these indie bands. And then because magazines like AP and other press outlets would have the indie rate. So rates, they would charge us, right. uh, as opposed to rates they would charge Columbia. So I could get a full page ad at, you know, AP for a thousand bucks, but if you went to a major, it'd be five grand. Mm. So what the the trend was, was to actually hire, pay money to a smaller independent label to put a record out for them to work it. And then it looked like, oh, well, they did so well, they upstreamed. So that would, acceptance was never really on the militia group. We struck a deal with, columbia to put out their ep columbia paid us money we got points on the record they paid all the marketing dollars up to a certain extent and we worked with their team and worked with uh, crush to kind of elevate them but it was kind of we were doing them a service um, but it worked really well because we were really i mean we've been friends from way back when so it was an easy like of course and they knew all our like they're friends with all our bands it just worked really really well so that's how that kind of went on and it was you know the, for us it was a win-win our you know we got to put out a really great ep our art director at the time brady clark uh did that you know design the the record which you know is still iconic to this day that imagery yeah. that he created and really well done so and it's a phenomenal ep like we again we paid nothing we were paid to put it out great great for us you know yeah, that, yeah, that's really cool. I, I didn't realize that was that was a thing, kind of just with the different tiers and a bit major label kind of using a smaller to you know go back and forth. But like you said, it did it did play well for you as well. So that's that's really oh, yeah. cool. That was you know I think it kind of seems like the major labels wouldn't want to you know either share any of the points like you said or you know, like royalties or you know but they would kind of want to take that for themselves. So that's that's kind of cool. It's, that was. It's... Yeah, it's a smart business model, and that's what happened with Island and Fall Out Boy, to be honest. Island signed Fall Out Boy, but then, you know, uh, Fueled by Ramen put the first record out. Right. And then, you know, when that success came, same with Paramore. You know, yeah. so it's like that was kind of a model, and that's what happened. And smart for them, they saved money, and they didn't have to have their team working on it while another team actually helped grow that fan base and really, right. you know, take it to that level to where then when the major label took it over, it made sense. Like, yeah. oh, you're sending, selling out major arenas. All right, let's put us the major money behind you and get the major radio push and all that. So, yeah. Yeah, right on. Yeah, well, that's why I, I like having a guy like you on with this kind of information because it's <laughs> not usually what you would hear either from a band or just, you know, kind of just get from different information or just from a CD or something, right? So it's, it's cool to yeah. just kind of get some more of that background thing of how, you know, the music industry works and kind of how bands kind of have to you know, kind of be playing one field and they go to the next and it's kind of, you yep. know, it's back and forth, you know, all with hopefully, you know, the, the band's benefit in mind to, you know, to get them the, the most success that they can. No, totally. Yeah, so the next uh, release is Umbrellas, Illuminaire, released on 2006. <laughs> 
This is yeah. not a band that I know a whole lot about, so why does this this release stand out to you? This is not a punk rock band, so that's probably why. Um, <laughs> the Umbrellas is helmed by one of my best friends in the whole entire world, a guy named Scott Windsor. Scott Windsor was actually the Lindsay Diaries, so the second release oh, okay. that the Militia Group actually did. Um, and when it came time to record his third record, he went in with, again, Ed Rose, a name that's going to pop up, and recorded yep. a new record, which I have here. Oh, yeah, hours. right on. The Lindsay Diaries Midwestern, this is a very, I guess it's rare, 2,500 copies. But he created that record and sub- subsequently this one, which is the first. Um, okay, I definitely recognize the me. artwork. Yeah, look oh, at me the, what is the that Japanese the... version. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I like that. Um, but when it came back, when he heard it, we're like, hey, this is not the Lindsay Diaries. This is a full-on band. This is different. Let's rebrand and move forward. Um, 
And so they did that. And then he went back in the studio and created uh, Illuminaire. Okay. Which is, I like this record. One, the song's really good. His lyricism is awesome. Um, I called him, and the, and the guys who recorded this, Chad Copeland, and I forget the other dude's name. Chad Copeland is still a brilliant producer. But they're just so unique. They're in Norman. They were in Norman, Oklahoma, and just like gear nerds and like just using all kinds of things. They would sample his voice, like take his voice and then use it as like a, like the melody, like as a keyboard. And you'd real, you thought it was a keyboard, it was actually samples of his voice. Mm. Um, there's a song on here where actually I called in to check in, you know, hey, how's the, the record going? They actually, <laughs> he was holding up the phone in the studio while doing vocals. And I'm actually on, you can hear me on the back track. So there's, all these sort of weird little things um, that you don't really notice that Scott would always point out to me like, Oh, you hear that? It's actually five of us going rock and roll, rock and roll. Mm. And you're like, what? That didn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, The music um, ships is one of the songs on here. um, And that got placed on alias. Um, So we got a lot of traction, a lot of success on the sync side of things, but it's just it's so creative and so cool and so different um i still think it holds the test of time but scott's voice is very unique i just i love how his brain just works and like all that stuff like again this is just a great record of mine and again the artwork it's show and tell time at the chad pearson house oh i love Uh, that mark mark penska did the art um, who's an artist out of Detroit and he's done a lot of skate decks and a lot of, you know, okay. he comes from the same breadth of us, but I still yep. have some of his original paintings that were oh, wow. used for, you know, the art, yeah, which rad. are still, you know, some of my favorite things. And Scott has the other ones, but they're just, they're just really cool. And I just, again, that record umbrellas and Scott will always hold a huge place, not only in my heart, but my family's heart. He was, you know, he was our roommate when we first got married we called him Scooter. We named a dog after him. Like mm. all, <laughs> he was a bride's dude in our wedding, you know. So it's just it's it's really cool, and it's I have great memories when I hear this stuff. And I just love how he trusted the creative process and just really went in and was just you know what I'm going to be creative. I'm going to be vulnerable. Put myself out there. Mm. Um, I wish he had more commercial success because he was just that good. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, that is, I, I love that record. I love everything about that record. Um, very proud of how that came out and just the whole umbrellas thing. So, yeah, right on. Yeah. I love, I love all that backstory and even just, you know, seeing the art that goes into it. And, you know, I, I don't know if, if bands still get that now where they get an original piece, you know, for their artwork, I'm assuming not because everything's digital. So that's cool to even just have that extra little piece that, you know, that gives you yeah. that memory and, and uh, yeah, I love that. Like even, even on this one, the first one, if you can get the hand on the original copy, there's Randall Jenkins, who was our art director at the time. He had this idea to put uh, gloss, um, like just type on it. So there's a lot of hidden messages or hidden oh, okay. things. So you kind of have to like get their light to shine right on it. And that was the first time we we're like, ooh, that's really cool. So there's a lot of hidden messages in this as well, or just really cool stuff that like, oh we didn't i didn't know that so it's again you have to dig deeper to understand the genius that is behind scott windsor and umbrellas uh, because all that was kind of really dictated by him and randall and just again hats off to them yeah well yeah i mean we've said lots on this show how important artwork is to music you know especially 
from this genre, from this era, you know, especially when, you know, CDs were still a big thing, you know, the artwork was such a major component to it, you know, whether it was, you know, like die cast cutouts or like a sticker on the front, yeah. or like you said, something just unique so that when you got it, you know, it was something I got some special. of those too. They're, those are coming up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I, I still miss, I know that's not going to come back, so I'm not waiting for it, but I, I still miss that. I'm glad I still have most of my CDs and, because I still like sitting down and putting one on and reading through the artwork and or through the the yeah. liner notes, looking at the artwork, and so it's uh yeah, just it's cool that there's other people out there that that still appreciate that. It's definitely a lost art. I think uh, Jason from Unoriginal Vinyl, yeah, if you follow him, he takes really great care and just really, you know, those are the reissues that are really well done. There's a couple other you know uh, companies coming out like Field Day did a re-release of Cartel Chroma, which is really well done. Oh, okay. Uh, to the field day or part of gift there i get those two confused but they those are two up-and-comers that like they do some really awesome reissues so yeah right on yeah well you just mentioned cartel that's another one that that i wanted to ask you about you know maybe one <laughs> of the the bigger bands to come from the militia group how did you discover cartel you know what did you see in them what made you want to work with them cartel is another uh a long story that i'll try to condense again um and it comes down to relationships i mean everything um if you get to know me, I think I'm, I'm very relational. That's, that's my yeah. MO. Um, and there was a band called two week notice from Atlanta, Georgia that tried to get signed. And it just, for whatever reason, we never pursued them. But what we did uh, back in the day, we started doing a distro, like a mail order distro. So like every, every CD had a insert in there with not only could you order your Rufio toaster t-shirt, but you could order, CDs of bands that we thought were cool that we could see like, Hey, if we order some CDs and we start selling out of these things, yeah, that's kind of A&R and we can be like, Hey, we love that band. Let's bring them on. So we did that for a few bands and two week notice was one of those bands. And the guy that we really hit it off with and who was our point of contact was a guy named Andrew Lee. Um, Andrew Lee was the drummer that band disbanded. And then Andy was like, Hey, I have a new band called cartel. Um, and he sent us, the ep you know lucky street and we're like uh yes let's do this right now and so that's basically how that relationship came out um and yeah i mean they just it it was phenomenal again you talk about all the right energy the right everything i mean aaron carter is huge at the time will kind of look like aaron carter i think there's even a story that someone thought he was Aaron Carter (laughs) but they just they were such a great live band such great dudes great songwriters to this day I think Will is still writing some really great songs um and it just worked you know uh, yeah unfortunately Andy uh I think he got kicked out of the band um but now he's a great photographer he takes a lot of pictures of food um and and some bands but yeah he's a great photographer but that's the connection there. They got quickly snatched up and there was a bidding war for them mm. uh, pretty instantaneously after we put out Chroma. Um, and we did have an upstream deal with Sony, who was our distribution company, Red. They had owned a portion of Militia Group and with one of those things was upstreaming rights. So they had the right to come and upstream a record from us. Okay. Um, which is telling us they were upstreaming and they, you know, we had all the terms worked out already, you know, the back end, what they were paying us up front, yada, yada, yada. So after talking to everybody, they decided to upstream to Epic. And then that's when um, they went off to do the band in the bubble and all that right. kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah, we got some back end on those records as well. 
Um, but yeah, that was that was a fun time. It's first time I think a militia group artist was on Jimmy Kimmel. So yeah. that was fun to go and, and see them on Jimmy Kimmel, like on a show, like in daytime. Like, oh, this is awesome. You yeah, know? that's really so. cool. How did you find, kind of as a side note, how did you find balancing, you know, a band like Cartel that, you know, I'm assuming, you know, maybe took more work or attention because they were blowing up, you know, compared to us, another band on the label that, you know, maybe wasn't even trying to go for that kind of success or just didn't didn't have it. How did you kind of balance you know, your time or energy or, you know, making not, you know, how, how does that work in that sense where a band, you know, you don't want to make a band feel left out because another band is blowing up at the same time. I mean, that's kind of the reality. How does that play out? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a really tough balancing act to be honest, you know, looking back on it, like we probably had too many bands. Um, some bands probably felt that, you know, and some bands deserved better, you know, to be honest. Um, I still, one of my life lessons, um, was sitting in my office with Aaron Marsh of Copeland and him uh, just like asking me why the hell did we spend X amount of money on this new band mm. and not Copeland that was working. And I had to come up with an answer for that, which yeah. I did not have an answer for that. And you know what? He was right. The money that we spent on this new band, we should have spent on Copeland because it was going, we should have put more gasoline on the fire, but instead we took the money that, you know, we're gaining from Copeland or other popular artists and goes, okay, well, let's try to make these bands work. Right. You know, so looking back, I see the point. There is a point there. How do you delicately balance that? I think you have to be honest. You have to be fair and transparent. Like that's the one thing that I think I was, you know, wish I could be a little bit more of looking back, like a little bit more transparent of like, and honest with the artist, you know, being like, Hey, here's where everything's at. Here's what's happening. Um, so yeah, that it, it was tough, you know, uh, luckily we had Rory had kind of his bands. I had kind of my bands and we kind of just, you know, we had a big staff as well. Yeah. So it's like okay. some bands, if they couldn't talk to us, they'd call, you know, one of the employees, Wyatt, Sam, Paul, Randall, Chris, Mikey, you know, they'd call Lindsay and they, talk to them you know and then they yeah. get the message to us so i mean again we were so young doing this too i mean oh, yeah. like rory was like 18 you know i was like 21 you know it's like cool i can drink rory can't you know but yeah. <laughs> it was maybe in canada he could but it was we were learning on the fly we didn't have any mentors or you know anything like that we just kind of went for it so looking back that it would have been we could have done better in that aspect of balancing those artists and kind of setting up the expectations and you know yeah well uh, I, so. I i think even labels that you know even if they do have fewer bands or more staff like i kind of get the sense it's just kind of how it goes because you know you don't really know what band's going to blow up or not and you know if they are then you want to make sure you're supporting them you don't want others to feel left out but you know, I think that's just kind of the reality of it, right? If a band isn't really gaining the exposure you want, it doesn't make sense to just keep pouring money into them, kind of hoping for the best if there's already a band, you know, where you want them to be. So, yeah, yeah I'm just you know, always curious kind of how an owner or, you know, someone that has that investment, like how do you get pulled in so many different directions? Well, I mean, the other thing too is back in the day when you had CDs, like you would ship a amount, 
So and you could it's kind of a bigger gamble. So you could be like, yeah, okay, well, sure. to make our money, we need to ship five thousand records. Well, no one tells you that those five thousand records could come back in six months. Right. You know, and now you owe money. You know, so that's you know, so we had big expectations. We knew, you know, our sales team was phenomenal from James Chilwin and Wyatt. They could ship records and convince stores to buy a, a crap ton. You yeah. Know? What they couldn't do was hold them at bay when they weren't selling and be like, no, no, don't hold on, just keep holding on to them. You know, so it took a while. Once the digital age, you know, now we can see instantly, you know, by right. the hour, you know, or even Spotify when you release a song, you can see if it's reacting, you can see where it's reacting in real time. So you have a benefit of like, oh, let's pull all our money, or you have the benefit of let's go all in. Something's great is happening with the song. We didn't have that back in the day. So we had expectations we met those expectations with the ship numbers what we couldn't expect or couldn't calculate was how many would come back you know after a few months so you probably still got some of those sitting in your garage or what nah (laughs) that's good (laughs) yes so let's uh moving on to the next one is branston hello control which was released in 2006 Mexico and California. Earthquakes and shots start us off. If you forgot the 
What's the one about Mexico and California? This is another one that I remember lots of people being into. Um, I wasn't into this band as much, but uh, they always seemed like kind of one of those staple bands for for this genre and this era. And um, I, have a, I have a friend who named one of his kids Branston because it's his favorite oh, nice. band. And and uh, so I remember him talking about them all the time. But yeah, what stands out to you about this band and this release? Yeah, well, first, shame on you for not uh, ever getting into them. No, I won't. I won't <laughs> guilt you into that. But <laughs> Branson I, I, was. I did a... listen through the record today, at least, so that I nice. familiar a little bit. Yeah, Branson was one of those bands that was. Uh, I remember they were on Deep Elm, and I just I loved them to death. And I, when I found out their contract was up, like I tried my damnedest to make sure we signed this band, you know. Um, and so for them to come on board to militia group, that was a huge win for, for me and for militia group for me personally and for militia group, you know, and super excited to have them on board and gave them bigger budgets was, was able to open up, you know, get them a van. I remember their contract. I think we bought a base cab for them too, cause they needed new musical equipment. Yeah. Um, and again, they went to Ed Rose and they recorded a record called send us a signal, which is totally down Branson's alley. We had, great success with that it elevated their game a little bit more what i love about hello control and from my recollection is matt uh, traxler who's a guitar player would start sending me these joke songs they were recording and having fun with they're like check this one out it's really funny check this one out it's really funny i'm like well can i get the demos for the record like yeah, yeah we'll get to that but check this one out this is funny <laughs> and all of a sudden i was just like guys you're having so much fun doing kind of this joke quote unquote record like these songs are really good like let's go that direction huh. let's lean into that a little bit more um so <laughs> it, it's controversial because i feel like a lot of the the, the branson fans they it, it's a very mixed reaction to this record i freaking love this record um it has the the card with, has the cut out here oh, um, yeah it's cool i don't know if you can see this yeah. is all my handwriting on the back oh, so wow. it kind of looks like a um you know, like a document, like a, it's a file. Yeah, I like that. And, and it's it's really really fun. Um, it really, it, it was a chain. It was a different record. You know, uh, nobody dances anymore, but they had uh, elements of their old style, like a thousand years, denim and equity, tapping the bait. But the, it was just more of an upbeat kind of fun record. Yeah. Um, kind of before you know, it, it was a more serious Cobra Starship, and then Cobra Starship hit, and we're like. Hey, we were doing the same thing. This is a record that got the attention. Um, Earthquakes and Sharks is a really fun song. Um, it got picked up in San Diego by the rock station. It was the number one most requested song, which wow, then, that's cool. because of that, got a lot of major labels interested. And we had a major label on the hook and like everything was going right. Um, and it looked really, really good. We're like, yes, this is going to happen. What happened was they found out the age of the guys, which they were older, you know, which is funny uh, looking back at it now, I'm 43, but they were older, like maybe in 28s, 29s, 30s. Okay. And they're like, oh, yeah. And they stopped calling us back. Weird. Um, hmm. So that kind of ended the band because they were just like, "There's, we can't keep on traveling the, you know, the country, sleeping on couches right. in the same van, playing for the same people. We thought this was the next step up. So all that being said, this is still one of my favorite records uh, from, you know, Randall and Matt Traxler again, created such great packaging. I'm not going to open this because it's 
I still like it, but it's cool too. That has my handwriting, which has not changed. It's still chicken scratch. Mm -hmm. Um, the song, nobody dances anymore has, we had an idea and we had, uh, the punk rock vid guys come in. They do a lot of live footage back in the day, a chain reaction. We're like, Hey, can you come in with your camera? We have a green screen. We're just going to throw the song on. We're going to have people dance. You cool. And you can edit it together. And they're like, yeah, sure. So they came in and we invited you know, fans to come in. We invited staff to come in. We closed off windows to our conference room. Our conference room was created this bright green wall. Um, Man Alive dudes were there. Pale Pacific guys were in the office. Uh, we had our, our barista from Starbucks. She's dancing in there. Uh, some fans are in there. It, it was just a really fun video. That video got a lot of traction. Like even my sister would be in like Nordstrom's years later and be like, I just saw you on the big screen. I, I, oh, wow. I'm in the video as well. She's like, I forgot you're in this video, you know. So that video got a lot of traction. I think it was up for, uh, it was up for some MTV award. I think when MTV had like the a different channel, it came up for that award, you know, okay. that video. So there's there's some traction there, and that's again, it was just fun overall. Yeah. Um, I wish it kept on going. It was fun. This record is controversial because it's not the quintessential Branson that people grew up loving, but yeah. it's just fun hmm. um and still i still think it holds up today earthquakes and sharks is still a fun song um has the cuss word in there so i can't play it with my kids but maybe they're getting old enough to where they can laugh and you know yeah with it some more and it did have some commercial success with some you know as i said radio play uh with uh license and sync opportunities as well as the tv shows and all that so um but yeah that's a fun record for me yeah uh, so did the so the joke songs did make it on the album I don't know if the joke songs did, but they were just, you know, kind of nobody dances anymore, I think was kind of a joke song. Earthquakes and sharks, I think just because the lyrics are tongue in cheek. I mean, it's just all fun, you know? Yeah. So lyrically it was more joking. Yeah. It just, yeah. But they had songs like a thousand years, like cold war. They had really great songs and their lie to me is a very, I mean, that's a straight ahead Branson song. Um, But there was that just fun element to it. That was just, kind of it was different you know i keep on using the word different i don't know what else to use in that case yeah more yeah, dance no, cool. more less emo more dance yeah you know but yeah right on well you had uh you mentioned uh aaron marsh from copeland before so i wanted to to bring them up uh, militia group released two of my favorite releases um on uh are of theirs and uh so when these albums came out like kind of in this era i was definitely more into the punk kind of hardcore side of things but i had a a roommate well, and another friend that I played in the band with that was really into Copeland. And so, I mean, it's, a you know, when you're playing with a band or just friends, I mean, you find out lots of lots of different bands. Oh, and yeah. so these ones definitely grew on me. Um, and then I saw them at Cornerstone in 2002. And, um, yeah, what's, what was your experience like working with this band and kind of what went into, you know, these albums or, or your time with them? Yeah, Copeland was, was kind of like one of my babies. I love Copeland. Uh, everyone in the band just so great such solid great people um there's a guy named aaron hartley who had a label called theory eight records uh he had sent me a split ep that he did with a band called copeland and a band called pacifico copeland for me was just like you hear it and you're like holy crap this is awesome so right away we started talking to james likeness who's the bass player and aaron marsh um and we started talking to them just kind of like, Hey, what are you guys about? Like, can we sign you? They're like, yes. 
they went to a guy named Matt Goldman, recorded a record beneath yeah. medicine, beneath medicine tree, which is such an emotional record, such a yeah. great record. Very vulnerable, definitely hit all the marks. You know, it came out at the right time. Let's be honest, um, and it sounds really good. Um, I think it's a little dated now, but it does sound really good. And they were again another great live band. Aaron's a fantastic singer. Yeah, um, the rhythm section, John John Buckley at the time. Uh, the drummer was just phenomenal. Brian Stevenson, uh, I think his name is Stevenson, but Brian, um, another great artist in his own right. Like it's just, it's just so good. Lawrenson, Brian Lawrenson, sorry. Um, but it, it was so much fun working with them because that was a band that I absolutely loved. And you hope that people like your, like the band that you loved. Yeah. And then when you go to a show and you hear and see people singing along every word mm. and like they, Aaron can't be heard because people are singing the song so yeah. loud. That gives me the chill bumps. That's like, yes, this is everything. And to realize that's everything the artist wanted to do. That is everything in motion. I remember that record being recorded. <laughs> we had fights about the track listing. I think I pulled the label card real quick and said, no, this is the way the track listing is. Sorry, Aaron, we've talked about it, but I think now they, they would want a different track listing. Totally fine. That's, I learned my lesson too. Like this is the artist record. It's not, no one remembers Chad Pearson. Everyone remembers Copeland in motion. This is their art. Right. Don't mess with the artist track listing. That's theirs. If they want a track listing, totally fine. Um, I'll give my opinions, but ultimately their call. Um, but in motion was another, again, phenomenal record that just kind of kept on elevating them yeah. to the next level, to the next level. And, I mean, just those songs, the way they write, the way they played together, uh, Eat, Sleep, Repeat was another great one. I went to, I had the pleasure of going to Japan with them a few times uh, with them in Branson uh, to tour and hearing, you know, and seeing them play over there too is another experience. But yeah, nothing but fond memories. Uh, me exiting Militia Group had a lot to do with Copeland as well, because when Eat, Sleep, Repeat came out, I mentioned earlier about the upstream rights, um, that we had with Sony. And at that point we put out the record and literally, I think before even the first week was done, we got a fax from Columbia saying Copeland has been upstreamed. Oh, wow. Um, and here's, you know, we got paid and everything, but I was just like, wait, what? Like yeah. in my mind and the story, I remember I was like, Oh, we're going to resign. Let's keep talking about resigning, but they're actually talking to the major label and they're actually being upstreamed as that, was a shock to my heart and that hurt deeply for me and there's a lot of conversations and we're over it now Aaron and I are still good friends um, he's still creating great music he just put some uh, uh, instrumental album out today okay. I think um, yeah he's still creating music Copeland's great you know um, but yeah it was that was super fun because I was seeing a band from like infancy to like wow this really works and people really love this as much as I do that's a great feeling yeah, well, and and it, like you said, it comes with you know some heartache, right? You want to see this band that you've helped bring up and that you love. You want to see them successful, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh, but now they're not my band anymore. You know, they're yeah. successful, which I wanted, but you know, it, it seems like there's you know all these different emotions. You know, like I guess with all this upstream deal, right? You know, it's there. You know that the label could come and say, hey, we want to take this band you know, which is the goal for this band to get the most exposure. Yeah. But, you know, it is hard, right? It's like, oh, but I found this band. Like, I've put all my, you know, blood, sweat, tears into this band, and, and now somebody else is going to or maybe not going to, like, or, 
you know, are they just going to kind of throw them out there and see what happens, but not actually care about them? And yeah, I'm sure there's lots of different emotions that go into that. There is, you know, and you hope for the best. And that's what I've realized too. My age now just, I can do what I can do right now. And that's the only thing I can control. And if you feel otherwise, okay, awesome. I want to be here to help you, you know, to the next step. Yeah. And that's the best that we can do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the next band up is the New Frontiers and their album Mending from 2007.
this was probably one of the very last bands I actually had the pleasure of working with at or signing at Militia Group. There was okay. a brand of bands, um, and that's why it's special to me. There's an artist named Chase Pagan uh, that I signed from Arkansas. Um, I just paused because I just realized that Chase actually did hit me up, and I haven't responded to him mm-hmm. <laughs> months ago. Um, but New Frontiers, they were like, for me, they were my next Copeland. They were like, this band will be the next thing. Um, so good. So great. Again, the songwriting is good. There used to be a band called Stella Maris, which um, Scott Windsor from Umbrellas was like, hey, you need to sign this band. Hey, you need to sign this band. I'm like, okay, okay. You know, eventually went out to see them play with Scott. And I was like, Scott, we need to sign this band. He's like, I've been telling you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, again, they were fans of Copeland. We sent them out to Matt, uh, Matt Goldman to record around that same time. That's when I exited out of Militia Group when they were okay. recording with Matt Goldman. So the cool part of that is I got when I moved here, I went to go to the studio where they're recording. So I got to see them record a little bit. I became their manager for like two or three weeks um, or maybe it was longer than that. But that didn't really work out because I was like, hey, I know the tricks that, you know, I know what Militia Group is saying, but here's what they're saying. So don't do that. And like, oh, we're going to do it. I'm like, you're not listening to me. But yeah, I mean, New Frontiers, this is a lot of people's white whale as far as uh vinyl goes i think this goes for 250 bucks right now oh wow but it's but it's like hand stitched oh that's cool you know on the sides it's really hard to get out it's actually really pretty um as well so mine is uh, oh yeah on this side it's like but on this side it's totally different so yeah it's beautiful um hopefully they re-release this at some point you know i think there's probably more than a few people who'd love to get their hands on this. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, that's the reason why I love it is it was the last band that I worked with and got to see them record a little bit. And it's still, I think the record still stands the test of time. And to see that people still love this so much that they're willing to you know, try to pry it away from my hands for yeah. 250 bucks. I'm like, uh-uh, you're not getting this one. You know, so I love seeing that. Uh, that's probably one of those releases you wish you had like 10 or 20 of that you could just put up yeah. for a few hundred bucks a piece, hey? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, do I have a test pressing of this somewhere? I don't even know how the hell I got this one. So, I mean, I could have stolen it from someone from all I know, but that's not like me. But, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that I actually have a copy. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, the next band is uh, Noise Ratchet. Uh, they released on 2002 and 2003, a full length and an EP. Yep. Uh, this was definitely one of my favorite bands on the label. Um, I wasn't as into the kind of you know emo side of things, but there was something about this band um, that stood out to me. I, I'm not sure what it was, but they always seemed like one of those bands that was underrated, that kind of went you know a bit more unnoticed, or they were kind of just kind of on the cusp of things, and then. You know, I'm not sure what happened with them, but uh, I actually I got to see them here in Regina. They came with uh, Anne Berlin in Morning September, and and they stayed at uh, okay. me and my friend's house. We got to hang out with them, and so that was really oh, nice. cool. But uh, yeah, what's what can you tell me about Noise Ratchet and these releases, and kind of what happened with them? Yeah, Noise Ratchet was a band from San Diego, um, and a band that I was great friends with. And then when Rory moved out from Kansas City. Uh, to go to school at USC, he became friends with as well. So when we started the militia group, it was only natural to be like, hey, come sign with us, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So um, again, really great friends with those dudes. And it just was natural, you know. So I think Tooth and Nail was kind of looking at them as well. Um, we eventually won out. But that was, 
I mean, that that band was just so incredible, live, yeah. incredible. I, I keep saying the word incredible, but like really we signed some really talented bands. Definitely. There was something about them. I mean, they could pack out a crowd, especially San Diego. If you ever had a chance to see them in San Diego, it was an out-of-world mm. experience. I mean, insane. Um, one of my favorite memories with them. I, I have a few, actually. They toured with Acceptance back on the tour that I talked about, but I was on the on tour with them or in their in their van and the trailer fell off as we were getting off in oklahoma oh, somewhere no. and it was all danny's fault and so everyone was mad at danny but that's a great memory uh we didn't die we all survived but yeah they're just another band who again like beautiful mistake that that just that there's something about bands in those days and age like yeah. whether it was two people whether it was 500 people whether it was five thousand people every single show they played their heart out hmm. um and they were some incredible human beings I still are um and just really really tight they you could tell they practiced you could tell they liked each other they could tell that they really believed and you know again put on a great show the they instantly got the eyeballs of a lot of labels as well yeah i can so, imagine um it, it's kind of funny now they eventually signed to american records uh which was rick rubin's label uh, so I remember sitting, watching Noise Ratchet with Rick Rubin and, you know, hanging out with Rick after uh, the show, talking with him and Joel from the band, just being like, oh, it's Rick Rubin, you know, uh, this is cool. So they signed. And then to me and my perspective, what happened was they went to the studio and it was just they were in the studio for a very long time. Mm. That's when members started rotating. They started also going on tour with bands. Like I think they're on tour with Avenged Sevenfold, which is kind of oh, weird. Interesting. Um, so they kind of just went instantly from this indie darling to like, we're going to put you just on the in front of a ton of people. And then they start having member changes. The The record they were recording, they still kept on going back and forth. Hmm. Uh, hey, go back, do it better. Go back, do it better. So I think eventually they broke up in the studio. Oh man! After they, That's you know, a, a guitar player left, another guitar player left, this person left, and so, from my recollection, that's what happened. They're just like after a while in the studio, like maybe a year. They're just like we're done. Yeah, man. Yeah, there's that's, other things. Yeah, that sucks. Um, but yeah, John and Brandon are you know the the background the rhythm section for the band Delta Spirit. So okay, uh, yeah. worked out quite well for them, and their Delta Spirit is equally a, a phenomenal live band as well. So. Um, yeah, I I remember. So when they when they stayed at my place, I had a, a poster of Azalea dying in my room, and one of the oh, yeah. guys comes downstairs. He's like, "Hey, you got a picture of me in your room?" I was like, "Do oh, yeah. I?" He's like, "Yeah, I played in Azalea dying." I think a guy named Brian. Was that uh, his name is John, and he's a priest now. So yeah. Oh, okay, John. Okay, he's yeah, he's the bass player for uh, Delta Spirit, and also a a priest, a father. I don't know what he is. Oh, but... Okay. So he, he has had... robes on and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was just like, yeah, I got sick of playing metal music. And so playing with noise right yeah. now. What's incredible is his story is maybe I'm sharing too much, but he had a son and they lived in New York at the time. And they went to like some like St. Paul or St. Matthews or St. Pete or whatever a church to get their baby christened. Well, <laughs> in the back row is Bono and the edge and the oh. two. And so, <laughs> there's a picture of Bono holding his baby and christening uh -huh. his son. And I was like, that is so New York and so rockstar. That's awesome. I have no idea why they're there, but anyways, yeah. it's a great story. Oh, that's, that's sweet. Yeah. Well, that makes me, yeah, I wish, uh, 
wish I could have heard whatever it was they were working on or what would have come out because yeah, they were one of those bands that just seemed like they had so much left in them and, and you know, a good projection yeah. forward and so that's frustrating to hear that, you know, that whole process sometimes can just bring an end to a band when it's supposed to, you know, move them forward. Yeah. I I had the tracks at one point, someone I don't know how I got them, but it probably wasn't a good reason. But I had the tracks at some point. I think they're floating out there somewhere. So if you search really hard, I think there's about 20 tracks out there somewhere that you can find um, that American owns will never be put out. But Yeah, yeah. man. So the next one we have on here is the Policia, the police tribute record. uh, came out (laughs) in 2005. Every breath you take Every move you step you take I'll be watching you every single day every word you
This is a special release for me, only because I uh, the, the memories and the relationships behind this one. So, um, when I had started the Militia Group as the booking agency and a, a management company, one of the bands I started booking was a band from New Jersey called Element 101. Oh, yeah. Um, fantastic band, fantastic people. You get the story. It's the same. You know, I don't yeah, hang yeah. out with any douchewads, <laughs> you know. So, um, they, I, you know, invited me to go on tour and be like the merch guide. Kind of like I just like going to, on tour with bands. Yeah. You know, you kind of get to see what they do or do not like, what they need. You know, yeah, hey, posters at the venue is a, a huge, huge win. So when I took that lesson, like we would show up at venues and there wouldn't be any posters, but like Junction 18 would have posters. Like fearless sent out posters, but tooth and nail, you know. And so when I eventually with Militia Group, we had someone on staff well, was the intern then we started paying him probably very little a guy named eugene um eugene kim is awesome but he would call up venues and send out posters and make sure they're hanging up that's a side story however the one band we could all agree on to play on on the road constantly was the police and so i, I grew a huge love of the police because of element 101 probably because we played it so much yeah, and so cool. At the time, I was like, man, we should do a police trivia record. I'll just do everything, you know, so which we did, you know, and I got like the first band. And when I told this to, you know, like, hey, I would love to do this police trivia record, the Pale Pacific, where they were called the Pale. They're like, oh, here's a song. And they sent in Walking on the Moon, which was I was like, oh, OK, yeah, we can really do this. Branson yeah. sent King of Pain. Then we were talking to Fall Boy, Fall Did Roxanne. Motion City Soundtrack was another one, another great band. Uh, truth it's everybody no motive uh talking to roger we got them yeah. to do synchronicity too limbeck phenomenal band they came in they did so lonely big collapse which is a, love that band i was probably one of the five people who love that band they did next to you maxine which is pretty much if you listen to maxine they were kind of a punk rock police okay uh, under oath got them to do one um i remember talking to them they're like yeah we don't know what we don't know any police records what should we do i was like oh you should do wrapped around your finger Okay, so they sent us that. Anna Divine, a band that yeah, was super yeah, really underrated. Cool yeah, yeah, but they did every little thing she does in magic, which is again great. Watashiwa, which is a band I wish I could have signed. Yeah, um, they, were they awesome. signed to Tooth and Nail, but then they became Lake. So I guess they kind of we did sign them. Um, and then Copeland, every breath you take, they actually made it really creepy, which is the way it should be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, even the layout, like we had this, I haven't opened this one out, but. Okay, that's a CD or Okay. Yeah, this is the CD and it's like a, a wrap, so it's plastic. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. And then so you take it off and there's a different cover underneath. So this is, we, the, the story of this one is we had, this is designed by a guy named Brady Clark. Uh, he left and then we hired a guy named Randall Jenkins and Randall did a whole different cover and we liked them both. So we're like, oh, what should we do? All right, yeah. well, let's do this. And when we unwrap it, it'll be the red, yellow, blue thing. And so that's how that kind of came about. So. Okay, that's a cool idea. How was that? Yeah, uh, how was it received? Like, were people excited about that, or was there enough? You know, of I really Bush? don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't really recall to be honest. I was just excited. That was one of like you know we didn't really spend that much money on it. Um, and this was before like the bands are really huge. I think Under Oath might have been the biggest band next to okay. No Motive. You know, so they're kind of creeping up. Yeah. Copeland was probably the biggest band, to be honest. Okay. Um, but then all those bands just blew up, you know, and then, you know, we're gone. So I think even if you look on Spotify, the numbers aren't that great, but it's up on Spotify now. It's it's still a phenomenal record, in my opinion. I love the covers, especially the pale. 
and uh, the Branson songs are really good. Um, but they're all really good. I mean, I was yeah. a huge Nomoto fan too. So it was kind yeah. of like I got an excuse to call these bands up and be like, hey, would you do a, a police song? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, so it, yeah. it was awesome to do that. What kind of uh, hoops do you have to jump through to do something like a comp? Like, do you have to. You know, like, is there any copyright issues or, you know, like getting a band from a different there, label or is it just kind of whatever because it's just a one-off thing? Uh, there there probably should be. Um, again, we did the punk rock, we're too young thing. You know, there's a company called Harry Fox, which you issue licenses with. And so we basically called up Harry Fox and said, hey, we're doing a police tribute record. What do we need to do? And they just ask you, like, how many do you think you'll sell? It's like, I don't know, 500? Like, all right, we'll send us a check for X amount. Okay okay you know and i think on the back end when we sell stuff uh we had our accounting send publishing because we obviously didn't own any of the publishing right to the people who owned the publishing you know so um and then we just paid the band outright and then the flip side of using you know like a vagrant records artist no motive would basically say hey we want to be part of this and they go okay we'll just give us credit in the liner notes you know no motive courtesy of vagrant records yeah um Obviously, things have probably changed now. There might be back-end deals and blah, blah, blah. Um, and here, you know, I don't know if this has made the light of day or, you know, if anyone's interested, but it would be cool to kind of put this out again or kind of make another push. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, was, it was just fun. Yeah. Well, yeah, and a, a unique release and, and a fun way to include some other bands that, that you like from other labels. So I guess in that regard, that is a good way. It's like, okay, well, this band's not on my label, but how can I kind of, you know, have them yeah. be a part of something that I'm doing. So, yeah, that was kind of like the, <laughs> I guess that was our consolation prize when Follow Boy signed to, to Feel by Roman Island. And as opposed to us, we got at least a song out of it, you know, in a couple tours. So, yeah, <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. Well, the, the last band I want to touch on here is, is Rufio. So maybe another one of Militia Group's kind of bigger albums and, and very influential for many that were into skate punk. I can, oh, yeah. I can still remember hearing this one for the first time and just like being blown away by the speed and the riffs and, and the bass. And uh, so how did you hear about this band? Kind of what was, how did you get to working with them and, and kind of what happened after perhaps I suppose was released and. Yeah, that, that's a podcast in itself. Um, Rufio, definitely a lot owed to Rufio and, and that release there, that was the, our first release. Um, and that was started basically again relationships relationships that rory had relationships i had with john the bass player john was in a band called sick of change who yeah, always I love that band. Or played yep. who always played with uh, slick shoes yep. you know so much that i called them slick of shoes um <laughs> <laughs> sorry andrew and rich i know you hate that um but yeah knowing john and when he'd started this new band like he's like gotcha got this new band seeing mp3.com was huge at that point yeah they're yeah. always on top of the mp3.com charts always like, yeah it was that incredible. actually might have been where i first heard them before i got the yeah. CD. yeah yeah and when rory moved to usc or moved to california he instantly struck out friendship with those guys um really well they hit it off really well and so when we started starting the label it's like yeah rufio of course it makes sense again their shows are humongous mp3.com made sense like we wanted that to be our first release yeah and so they quickly signed up with us uh that's how we got like we signed four artists right away which rufio was one uh lindsey diaries was another tor tor torrance was one and a, a band called veronica from new oh, jersey yeah. was another uh so we signed all four of those and just 
we got a distribution deal from Revelation Records, basically because of you know me putting on shows at a, a venue called Chain Reaction, selling those out. The reputation I had had made there, and Rufio did not, mm. you know, that definitely helped. You know, so we signed a deal with Revelation, basically based off of a a what we call it a white lie or a white guess. <laughs> there, you know, Becca, who was our sales rep at the time, she was like, "How many records will you sell?" And we're like, "I don't know, like 500." It's like, well, we don't pick labels up unless they sell 5,000. We're like, oh, yeah, we can do that. No problem. We had no idea if we could or not. But um, we put out the roof field, perhaps, I suppose. And, like, I don't remember what the first week was, but it was way more than we expected. Um, that first week came, we sold a crap ton. And Rory and I were both working at the same Gap store. I remember Rory quitting the Gap <laughs> right after that. It's like, I'm done. I'm like, ah, not so fast for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we started getting calls from, like, everybody. Um, you know, all the punk rock labels, like Hopeless called us, Lewis Posen called just to say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. If you need anything, let me know. Oh, I'm cool. here to help. Nitro, which we found out was right down the street from our house oh, right you know, in Huntington Beach. Yeah. They called, you know, so all these labels started calling like, hey, congratulations. What are you guys doing? Eventually, you know, there, there became a bidding war to go to a bigger, you know, we had Rufio. And so when Nitro calls and it's Dexter from The Offspring, right? And they go, "Hey, we want to sign you, and you have one of their favorite bands, which was AFI at the yeah. time, or Guttermouth, or you know, like you have some really great punk rock." You're like, "Yes, I want to do this," you know. So we quickly had to be like, uh, figure out what the hell we were doing. What what did the band want? I remember having a call with Scott and just him crying, like because we were like, "No, we're going to keep you to the contract," and he's like you're crushing my dreams. I'm like, you know what? You're right. Let's just go ahead and sign you, you know, and that uh, we structured a deal. And I think if I'm correct, I mean like the, the nitro guys couldn't have been nicer. Uh, side one dummy again, those guys, they helped us, you know, walk through those lines, uh, revelation and hopeless. They all walked us through and we could, you know, bounce ideas and talk to them about it. So we had perhaps, I suppose, but then they quickly went to nitro, which we still owned. Perhaps I suppose that was, we, that was our, you know, thing that we wouldn't give up yeah. like, oh, we're gonna still have this one um so that's what happened there and it, you know i still kudos to them it set us up really quickly really well you know and it really set the tone too of like we're not a quote-unquote christian label that was my fear coming from tooth and nail right is i didn't want to be pegged as a christian label and when you put out a record and one of the songs on the record is called dipshit yeah, it yeah. pretty much wipes that clean. You're like, oh, they cussed. Oh, my goodness. You know, so it's like, yeah, don't call us about church shows. Don't call us about Christian yeah, distribution. Yeah. We don't want that. We're going down this path. Yeah. You know, so that was, I mean, that really set up the militia group up for who we were. And, you know, again, that record is, is great. And probably the most successful still of the militia group records. Yeah. Do you remember, do you, or would you know how many copies this has sold or? No, I mean, that wasn't, I don't remember off the top of my head. I remember the amount of money I spent on bands that didn't sell, but I don't remember how much like, yeah. sales numbers were. But I mean, it was, it was really, again, really well received and did really, really well. Yeah. So. How, how short was their stint on Militia Group? Like would it have been I mean, the shortest was, live band or what? No, not the shortest live, but I mean, it was probably a couple months, you know, wow, that's if crazy. that, because I mean, we, we went through recording the record to... You know, the art, which I look back and I'm like, man, I could have done a much better job. But like the art <laughs> yeah. I dictated to my roommate at the time, Sean Stopnick, 
uh, I was like, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Da, 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 da. It was supposed to be more of a letterpress kind of feel. Backwards R. It came out, you know, it was free. Rufio guys, I don't know if they even saw it, to be honest. Oh, uh... um, I don't remember how that went, but it was basically what was in my head dictated to Sean. Sean crafted it. We're like, cool, I guess it works. Awesome. Let's go for it. You know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then probably, yeah, probably a month after it was out was when they signed to Nitro. You know, so. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember that, you know, kind of that shift happening and you know, seeing their name more and and uh, yeah, because they're. I mean, like I said, they they kind of fit into that skate punk sound, but they were also had a, a uniqueness to them and and you know, so they stood out on their own, which I which I always thought was was really cool. So yeah, yeah. great great band and um, yeah. Well, that's that's kind of the the end of our list here. I mean, there's there's lots of others that. That we could touch on, but it's been really cool getting to just hear your perspective on all these bands and, you know, some bands that are still active, you know, in one way or another, whether it's with these bands or others. And and so it's cool that you had such, you know, a big part in helping these artists, you know, get their name out there and get their art out there. And so, yeah, thanks for thanks for all you've done for the music scene and, and for getting cool records out. That's, that's really amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for forcing me to kind of go down memory lane and pick out a few records that i was like all right do i have stories about this or not i'm sure there's a lot more that i could talk about and i could talk for days about each of these artists yeah this was definitely fun and it was very awesome for me to go down that memory lane trip so thank you for having me for sure yeah well why don't you uh end by giving a quick uh shout out to uh the instagram that you've got going maybe you can plug that a bit because i know you're (laughs) posting different different kind of throwbacks and stuff on there as well. Yeah. I started Instagram. I, I realized that uh, the militia group was not being utilized on Instagram and I was going through cleaning up. I don't keep much, um, but I realized I, I do have a lot of militia group stuff. Um, I just realized too, I have a bunch of masters sitting over there. Oh, that's cool. Um, and I was like, Oh, I should put this up. So I started just the militia group archives. Um, just kind of my perspective on, the militia group and how that was run and you know like i'm still in contact with most of the interns uh, most of the employees you know uh, wanting to hear their stories and kind of highlight them too at the same time um so yeah the militia group archives i also started a new label which is new um which not many people know about at the moment but it's it's not punk rock but that's called himalayan records okay um that's kind of what i'm doing um so yeah, it's been fun to come back into that game of sorts, kind of, you know, stretch my muscles in that era. But just, I still love music. I still yeah. love the music I put out. You know, I still love the music that I had put out. Still have really great relationships with most of these artists um, and still listen to them all um, with just uh, a twinkle in my eye and just happiness in my heart, you know, not to be all sentimental but it's definitely you know sometimes i wonder how the hell i convinced so many great artists to trust me and to put out their arts it's truly humbling and truly an honor to you know look along and be like man all these artists trusted me yeah and trusted our team and it was not just me but the team and there was something that was just really special about it so uh, to be able to go down memory lane is is definitely special and and thank you for that yeah Uh, yeah my chance to do that so yeah Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Chad. I, I look forward to uh, when this episode comes out and being able to share it and just have people, you know, hopefully have some of these memories too, whether it's the bands that we talked about or just fans of the label. It's 
it's cool to have an opportunity to to bring some exposure to something that you know isn't even really existent anymore but it's still you know it's still out there the music's still out there and and it's still you know connecting with people so that's that's really unique yeah. and neat so but uh yeah that's that's awesome. it for this for this episode thanks again chad really appreciate you and uh yeah we'll talk soon awesome thanks Aaron.